Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. As we continue in our series through the Beatitudes under the heading, In Pursuit of the Elusive butterfly. And I've heard a lot of comments about this series that has caused some of you to look at things a little bit differently. Uh, you've, you said, you know, I've never looked at happiness in that way. I thought I was just supposed to you know, pursue happiness and I'd be happy and uh, you're giving me a whole different perspective on looking at these things. So I thank you for the comments that I've received uh, uh, about this series. But today we continue looking through this series in pursuit of the elusive butterfly. And we look at it by looking at Matthew chapter 5 verse 7 under the heading, finding happiness by being merciful. Finding happiness by being merciful. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We would expect Jesus to say, blessed are those who receive mercy. That's what we'd expect Him to say. Blessed are those who receive mercy. That's the people that should be happy. But Jesus doesn't say that. That's not what we expect, expect to hear. But nevertheless, Jesus has some words that are going to help us. They're important words. As He talks about being merciful, and as you're merciful, you receive happiness. Now there's two kinds of mercy in the world today. The first mercy is a reactive mercy. This is the kind of mercy that reacts to a situation or to an individual. But there's also what we call a searching mercy. This is the kind of mercy that goes out and searches for opportunities to be merciful. So let's look first at the reactive mercy. Uh, We need to understand that. This is the kind of mercy that responds to the normal pains of life. You're going through trouble, you're going through a difficulty, and you're responding to the pains of life. There's many things in life that cause pain. Uh, we all know that. When somebody tells a lie about you, it hurts. It causes pain. When somebody says false things about you, it hurts. It causes pain in, in your life. When somebody insults you, or when somebody criticizes you, it causes hurt. It causes pain in, in your life. You know, in our natural tendency, when somebody hurts us, or somebody lies, uh, tells a false a truth, lashes out, they insult, or they criticize us, our natural tendency is to get even. That's the way we're wired. We want to get back, and we want to get back at these individuals as quickly as we can. But Jesus comes along and says that we shouldn't do that. He says, instead, we should show mercy. Instead, we should be merciful. Jesus says you'll be happy when you overlook minor offenses and you forgive major ones. He said that's when you'll find true happiness. Jesus says blessed are those who respond with mercy. But can we be honest? It's not easy, is it? It's not easy uh, to do that. Why is that? Why is it so difficult for us to do that? Because our natural response is we want to protect ourselves. We want to protect ourselves from attacks and assaults and things that may hurt us. If we've been wounded, it's it's natural for us to build up a wall against those people. 
so that we won't have to face them, we won't have to confront them, so we will build off a wall and we will close them off. It's our way of asserting our rights. I have a right to comfort. I have a right to be protected from that. It's a way of protecting our pride so that we won't get hurt. So we demand our space against anyone or any situation that may harm us. I mean, now, I don't know if they do this at Baylor, but on college campuses, we have safe zones because we don't want to be offended by somebody. So you can't say anything in my safe zone that might offend me. I don't think Jesus is talking about safe zones here. This is not what He's talking about. But, but we want to create that safety around us so we can protect ourselves. And ultimately, we don't want to open up ourselves to anyone. Because if we open ourselves up to anyone, we might become vulnerable and we might get hurt by those individuals. So our fear of being hurt drives us into a defensive mode. And so we begin to create walls. And the problem is, when you begin to do that, you, you de it develops into isolation. You know, it may help you in the short run. You may feel better in the short run. But in the long run... It devastates you. In the long run, it hurts you because we cannot live in isolation and be happy. I know you introverts don't like to hear this, but we were created for relationship. We were created for community. You know what the Bible says. God looked at everything He created and it was perfect. It was good. But He looked at man and He said, it is not good that man is alone. I will make a helper for him, suitable for him. So he made Eve, let me throw this in, and not Steve, okay? He made Eve, not Steve. Why? Because that was what we're created for. We're created for community. We're created for relationships. And it's not good for us to isolate ourselves from other individuals. We need relationships. We need that. Uh, you know, you survive by taking the risk, by being vulnerable, and by being merciful to those individuals that hurt you. That's how you maintain the core of fellowship. That's how you keep that connection of relationships going. Probably one of the best examples of this is found in the pages of the Old Testament. Perhaps you've heard about this young man by the name of Joseph. Joseph is, a, is an individual that had ten older brothers and a younger brother. Well, there's twelve brothers, but he was the favorite of his dad. His dad, Jacob, Israel, loved him and showed favoritism in too many ways. And his other brothers, his ten older brothers, got jealous over Joseph and the love that the father showed him. So they, they plotted against him and they captured him and they sold him into slavery to a band of uh, traitors making their way down to Egypt. And then they manipulated a plan or devised a plan to show his father, Israel, his father, Jacob, that he was killed by wild beasts. In the meantime, Joseph makes his way to Egypt, and in Egypt he is sold into slavery. And through a process of time, through a time, he gets accused of something that he did not do, and he's thrown into prison. And he's forgotten about for years. For years. But in the prison, he rises to a place, position of prominence in the, in the prison. And eventually, he's released from prison, finds favor with Pharaoh because he can interpret dreams. And Pharaoh makes him in charge of all of Egypt. The only person that has more authority in Egypt is Pharaoh himself. And there came a time of famine in the land, and Pharaoh puts Joseph over the food distribution 
he's over the food pantry. And so he feeds out food to everybody in Egypt, and those that are coming from foreign lands can come and they can purchase food so they can survive the famine. As God would have it, the brothers, his brothers, Israel and his, and Israel and his sons, find out there's food in Egypt, so they sent, go to Egypt to buy food. They're going to have to confront their brother, because they don't know their brother's alive. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And in that moment, when he could have punished them, he could have thrown them in jail, he could have killed them. What did he do? He showed them mercy. He showed them mercy. Matter of fact, the Scripture says, it says, do not fear, my brothers, for what you intended for evil, God intended for good, for the salvation of His people. He was merciful. He was merciful when He could have been vengeful. Joseph. Joseph held together the court of community and he showed himself to be a child of God. And that's what God does. That's what God hangs on to us. He hangs, hangs on to us through sin and through disobedience and through rebellion. God hangs on to that cord. He keeps that cord of community going. He accepts the abuse. He accepted the criticism. He suffered the shame of dying upon the cross because of our rejection of Him. What did God do? God dresses down into the vulnerability of frail humanity. And He became a servant. And He, and he took the nails. He took the abuse. He took the criticism. And the nails were driven into his hands, and they were driven into his feet, and the thorns were placed on his brow. The spear was driven in his side, and they penetrated his skin. But they penetrated more than that, they penetrated his holy, grieving heart. That's what he did. And what did Jesus do when he's on the cross? No cries of anger. No cry for retribution. Instead, what did He say? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Mercy. Mercy. Mercy emanated from the cross of Jesus. Jesus tells us, Blessed are those who respond with God-like mercy to the aggravations and aggressions that come their way. Though wounded like the Lord, they will be far happier than those who protect themselves against the unjust Golgothas of life. Be merciful. That's a reactive mercy. Not only is it a reactive mercy, but it's also a searching mercy. If we live by our our code of conduct. If we live by, by the way we do it, we would never venture out of our safe zones. Uh, we would never venture outside our protective fortress that we isolate ourselves from humanity. Look at the way Jesus lived. Jesus was acquainted with sinners. He was acquainted with those that hurt. He was acquainted with those who were going through difficulties. And through Him, we see how God took the initiative in being merciful to humanity. 
He took the initiative to mend the broken relationship. Like the prodigal son's father. The prodigal son, we talked about him last week. He came to his senses and he returned. He said, I'll go back to my father. But even the father did not wait. The father ran and put his arms around the prodigal son. He ran to him. And that's what God does. God looks down at us and He sees us and He runs down the halls of heaven and He leaps over the sin, over the wall of sin and He embraces us with a merciful love. And He embraces us. He took responsibility for saving us. God chose to save us. Listen, He chose to save us when we didn't even know we were lost. He chose to do all of that. That's the kind of mercy that looks for opportunity to reveal itself in people's lives. And there's four characteristics of this searching mercy. The first characteristic is that the merciful have eyes to see. They do not wait for it to be brought to their attention. Instead, they search the horizon of human experience to find people in need. One of the good illustrations this is found in the pages of Acts chapter 3. You may know the story. Peter and John are on their way to worship. They're on their way to the temple. I can imagine them saying, you know, we've got to hurry up and get there. We want to get a front row. They're bad, but they probably said, we've got to get there early so we can get that back row. Yeah. They're, they're on their way there. And they're rushing. And the crowd is making their way there. And as they're making their way into the temple, and it's a beautiful place, as they're looking at the colonnade, and they're looking, it's a beautiful place. Over to the side by the gate is a beggar. And that beggar is begging for alms. He's begging for somebody to drop something into his cup. We get the impression he's been there forever and ever and ever and always there. Probably other people saw him as well. And maybe some people put something in his, his cup. But Peter and John were drawn to him and they looked at him through the eyes of mercy. And they went over to him and, and I love what they said. They said, silver and gold we do not have, but what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. They were merciful. I remember hearing somebody talk about that story one time and he said, you know what? We're a church now. We have silver and gold. We can give them silver and gold. He said, what we don't have is the power of God to say rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. But they looked at this individual that others had passed by and through the eyes of mercy, they saw him and they met his need at the moment. And the same is true of us. What we choose to see makes a difference in people's lives. The merciful, they keep their eyes open and they're looking and they see things that others do not see. They see what others might miss. And they are always looking for ways to show the love of God. So the merciful have eyes to see. Second, the merciful have hearts that understand. It's not enough just to take notice of a need. Something must be done about it. And if you're going to do something about it, it means you, there's, you, you've got to have something known about it. Uh, the word mercy is interesting. In the original language, the original etymology of the word, it means to get inside someone else's shoes. Or someone else's skin. To get inside someone else's skin. You know, the Native Americans had a statement that said, you never really understand what somebody's going through until you walked a mile in their moccasins. When you've done that, then you're able to be more merciful. You'll be able to understand them in a way. 
So the merciful try to understand the situation. And when they understand the situation, they're in a better position to help that individual. One of my uh, favorite cartoons is Peanuts. Y'all know Peanuts, Charlie Brown, Snoopy? Y'all, I don't know if y'all know, but I get a lot of my theology from Peanuts. Okay? Uh, there's a lot of wisdom in Peanuts. And some of you say, yeah, we know, preacher. Uh, we know. So, but anyway, in, in one particular comic strip, Lucy is outside in the snow and she's built a snowman. Her snowman friend, she calls him. And Linus comes outside and he yells out the door. He goes, Mom says it's time to come in. Lucy turns to her snowman. She goes, oh, rats. She goes, I, I don't want to leave my snowman friend out here by himself. She goes, I'm sorry, Miss Snowman Friend. I'll see you in the morning. And she makes her way up to the door and she turns around and said, Bye, snowman. I'll see you in the morning. And she goes inside. She takes off her, 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 her hat, hangs it up. She takes off her mittens. She takes off her coat and hangs it up. And she goes over the window and she looks out at the window. She goes, It's so sad that my snowman friend has to stay out in the cold all by himself. You know what happens next? You see the next picture shows Linus with his hat on and his gloves on and wrapped up in a sigh <sighs> coming from him standing next to her snowman. Now, we don't know if it was tender-hearted Linus that because he had compassion went out and stood with the snowman. Or it was Lucy who had compassion for no one that forced Linus to go out there. But we all know people like Linus, don't we? I mean, people like uh, Lucy, right? They have no compassion. They're not tender-hearted. We also know some Linuses, don't we? That they have compassion. They're tender-hearted. This is what Jesus is talking about in this situation. He's talking about individuals that have hearts to understand. And when God saw the sin, and He saw the lostness of the world, He didn't just sit around and talk about it. He came down and experienced it with us. He came down to be a part of this world. He entered into the human experience. And He became one of us. And the Bible says that He who knew no sin became sin for us so that through Him we might know the righteousness of God. And the Bible says that we have a high priest, one who is acquainted with our problems. He understands because he's been tempted just like you. He's went through the trials. He's went through the tribulations. And he's went through the troubles just like you have so that he can identify with you and be there to meet your need, to solve your problem. And guess what? Ultimately, to be merciful. To be merciful. He entered into the human experience so he could provide a way us to experience the mercy of God. So the merciful have eyes to see. The merciful have hearts to understand. Third, the merciful have hands to help. The merciful look at a situation and they convert it into concrete action. Jesus told the story about, about a Samaritan. He called him a good Samaritan. It's a Samaritan who, who was walking along the road and he saw a man who was in a ditch and he went over to the man and he took care of him. He took time out from his schedule and he bandaged his wounds. He put oil on his wounds, put him on his donkey, transported him to the local holiday inn, put him there. He had a relationship with the inn manager. He said, hey, take care of this man and I will meet all your needs when I come back. I'll make sure that you're compensated appropriately. He saw he wasn't good because he was a Samaritan. He was good because he did what was right. He was merciful. 
And Jesus talked about that individual. The Samaritan was a merciful man. As I was looking for a story that would kind of drive this home, I found one on the internet and, uh, and I wrote it down. But I want to read it to you because he says it so well. It's in his own personal words. And this is his story. He said, when she shuffled into the subway, I wanted to look away. She was old. And she had only ragged clothes to protect her from the bitter Chicago winter wind. She took the nearest seat. Her shoulders hunched against the cold and her eyes down. Her white, cracked, bony hands clutched a worn shawl tightly around her. I watched with wonder and pity. At the next stop, an energetic young man strode confidently onto the train, his cheeks red with health. His clothes were sharp, his hair immaculate, and his step graceful. He too saw the woman's silent misery. Three stops later, as the train slowed, he glided by her to the other door and disappeared into the tunnel. On her lap lay his brown leather gloves. I don't know if he was a believer in Christ or not, but I do know this. He saw her need and responded with compassion while I just sat there. It never occurred to me to give her my gloves. That young man showed me compassion in a way I will never forget. Many of us have been guilty of just passing them by. Of passing by those that might be hurting, those that might need help, those that might be hindered in some way. We see people in need every day, but in our hurriedness, we pass them by. We pass them by. We're too busy. We're too busy to care. We're too busy to observe. We're too busy to do anything. But Jesus tells us that if we will stop our frantic pursuit of the elusive butterfly of happiness long enough to help broken people along the way, we will in fact find authentic happiness. That's what He tells us in this passage. You see, the merciful have eyes to see, the merciful have hearts to understand, and the merciful have hands to help. And finally, the merciful have a voice to speak. Mercy will not keep quiet. Mercy will not shut up. Mercy pleads for the helpless. Mercy become, the merciful become advocates for those in need. The merciful are like Abraham. Abraham who pleaded for a city that he did not know. But he pleaded for Solomon and Gomorrah that God would spare it from the wrath. He pleaded with it. The merciful are, are, like, are like Moses who pleads with God to forgive the idolatry of the people. And God, if you cannot forgive their idolatry, blot me out of the book that you've written. Just blot me out, Lord. The merciful are like David who pleads that, that even though Saul is out to kill him, he says, you still respect the king. You still respect the king. And he said he's due the honor and he's merciful. He's merciful. The merciful is like Jeremiah and Micah and the prophet Amos who are pleading for justice in the street and they're pleading for mercy from the people and from God. And they're pleading with them. 
Mercy, mercy is Jesus coming over and looking over the city of Jerusalem and he, and he weeps for the city of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you had known, if only you had known how I would have gathered you into my wings and I would have protected you and I would have loved you and I would have cared for you. But now you're never going to know. The merciful are like Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and for me, pleading our case before the Father. I could see if he said, Lord, forgive him. That one's he's ours. Forgive him. He belongs to us, Lord. Forgive him. Forgive her. Forgive them. Pleading our case. Merciful. Or like a preacher or a pastor who continues, continues, continues to push the church to reach out to the lost, the unchurched, the hurting. And he keeps pushing for him, and he weeps for him, and he cries for him until the church gets it. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who join with these. Because Jesus says they're the ones that are happy. Jesus says, Happy are those who look for trouble, understand, do what they can, and become advocates. He says, These people are to be congratulated. These people are the ones that are happy. Why does he say that? Look at what he says. He said, Blessed are the merciful. Why? Why are they so happy? Why are they to be congratulated? He said, Because they will be shown mercy. They will be shown mercy. You see, here's what he's saying. Mercy moves in a circle. It moves in a circle. You give it away and it comes back to you. You give it away, it comes back to you from God, but also from others who continue to do it. Mercy multiplies. Having received mercy, we give it away, and then we receive even more mercy back. Mercy multiplies itself. Louis B. Mayer who was the founder of Metro-Golden-Mayer movies. Uh, he tells a story when he was a little boy that made an impact on his life. He said when he was a little boy, he got into a fight at school. Some boys called him names and they got into a fight. He called them names, they called him names, and he got into a fight. And his mother didn't get on to him. She just went into the room and cleaned out his little blackened eyes and wiped his little nose. And, and she talked about, uh, he, he told them what happened. He said, they called, you know, I called them names and we got into a fight. And she said, I want you to go out to the back door. And out their back door, on the back was a was a, a hillside. And on the hillside, if you shouted out, it would echo back to you. She says, I want you to shout out all the bad names you called those people. You know, you're an idiot. Idiot shouted back. You're a moron. Moron came back. You're stupid. It came back. Came back. She goes, now what I want you to do, I want you to shout out, God bless you. And so he shouted out, God bless you! And it came back, God bless you. God bless you. The point is, what we give out comes back on us. This is what Jesus is trying to say to us in this beatitude. You see, mercy moves in a circle. That's the way mercy works. You receive mercy from others, but you also receive mercy from God. Now, there's a corollary to this as well. Hear me on this. There's a corollary of this beatitude just as much as what I've been talking about. If you Listen, if you keep mercy to yourself, you won't receive it from others, 
worse, you won't receive it from God. You won't receive it from God. How could you expect to receive mercy from God? You broke the chain. You broke the circle. You're not being merciful, so why should God demonstrate give you mercy? Why should God give mercy to you? You broke in the circle. You see, in keeping mercy to yourself, you will not know the joy of receiving mercy. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. They will receive it. But if you're not merciful, God is under no obligation to be merciful to you. You've broken the circle. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about a practical illustration, practical demonstration of it. You've broken the circle. Jesus says, happy are those who keep the circle going. Happy are those who give mercy because in return, they will receive mercy. Listen. God did not show you mercy for you to keep it to yourself. He showed you mercy so that you as well could be a conduit of mercy to other people. That's the truth. He didn't give us mercy so we could receive all the benefits of the mercy. He wants us to be a distributor of mercy to those around us. This is, the, this is the, how the beatitude is totally controversial. It's totally revolutionary. Because we would expect Jesus to say, oh, how happy are those who receive mercy. That's not what He says. He says, oh, how happy are the merciful. For they will receive mercy. Do you want to be happy? Show mercy. You want to experience joy in your life? Be merciful. Experience the benefits of being merciful in your own life. Maybe for some of you, what you need to do is you need to experience the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ being God in Himself came down and identified with sinful man so that He could provide mercy. And here's what Jesus did. On one hand, He gripped the holiness of God. And with the other, He gripped the sinfulness of mankind. And He bridged the gap. He said, through Jesus, you can experience mercy. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But because of God's mercy, He will withhold the penalty on you and He'll place it on Jesus instead. That's mercy. That's mercy. You deserve death, and you deserve punishment, and you deserve hell. That's what you deserve. Because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't buy it. You can't purchase it. You, know, you say, well, what do I got to do to receive that? And, and we'll be done here in a couple of minutes. What do we got to do to receive that? Said, the Bible says all you got to do is believe. It's so simple. Even a caveman can do it. It's so simple. Notice what he did not say. He said that if you believe in Jesus Christ and confess Him, 
you will be saved. It says, he says, for all those who have believed in Him, to them He gave the right to become a child of God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, whosoever believeth in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Believe, 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 believe. Notice what He did not say. He said, everybody who can give $5,000 will be saved. Not everybody can give $5,000. He also didn't say, everybody who can read can be saved. You know, a lot of people in the world can't read. How about this one? Everybody that can walk five miles will be saved. Well, not everybody can walk five miles. Not everybody can read. Not everybody can give $5,000. Uh, everybody that can speak a, a third language, they will be the ones who say, that's not what he said. What did he say? Everybody who believes. And see, that's why it's universal. Why? Because everybody can believe. Everybody. It's open to anybody, regardless of race, creed, color, nationality, ethnicity, uh, religion, whatever. It's open to everybody because everybody can believe. That's why Jesus said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what Paul told the Philippian jailer. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You and your whole family. He said, if your whole family believes, they'll be saved too. So what do you got to do to receive the mercy of God? You got to believe in Jesus Christ. And once you, once you accept Jesus Christ, the mercy and the grace of God overshadows you. And you're forgiven of your sins because of God's great mercy.